Hi, I'm Owen from Bite Size Irish Gaelic. Welcome to episode 53, Ever a Quaga Tree of the Bite Size Irish Gaelic podcast. Even if you're alone learning to speak Irish outside of Ireland, don't despair. Rest assured that there are thousands like you across the globe, all interested in tapping into Ireland's native culture. For all about this podcast, go to www dot bite size dot irish slash podcast and i want to give a shout out to our newest members who signed up at bite size irish gaelic since our last recording so those people are catherine in sunderland in england uh, joseph in oh now these cities kind of throw me off alfarita alfarita georgia in the states <laughs> jennifer in oklahoma uh, Janet in Harwich, Massachusetts. Austin, who's in the military, the United States military. Emmanuel in Fresno, California. Helen in Gorham, Maine. That's how I'm pronouncing it anyway. And Thomas in Portland, Oregon. So welcome to our newest members. And I hope that they're making the most of our bite-sized lessons online to learn a bit of the Irish language, Irish Gaelic. Today I'm joined by a very special guest. Uh, he is Professor Boyd Robertson and he's the principal of Soul Moor Ostig in the Isle of Skye in Scotland. Boyd, do you want to say that? Thank you. How are you? I'm very well. So uh, I was going to ask what was it that you said in Gaelic, in Scottish Gaelic, but I actually understood it. <laughs> so that question is a bit redundant. So, Professor Robertson, uh, you're the principal at Solmore Ostig. So what is that? Solmore Ostig is the National Centre for Gaelic Language and Culture. It's also part of the University of the Highlands and Islands. There are 13 academic partners spread throughout the Highlands and Islands at various colleges. We are one of, we are one of them. And the We've been in existence for uh, as a college just since 1973 Although we have Celtic and Gaelic departments in the, tra the traditional universities of Scotland, like Aberdeen, Edinburgh, and Glasgow, this is the only place you can come and study uh, through the medium of Gaelic. You can be an ab initio learner, and you can study uh, at various stages through diplomas to degree courses and onwards to postgraduate and uh, PhD level all through the medium of Gaelic. We offer four degree courses. All of these are Gaelic with, Gaelic with the media, for instance, the media studies, Gaelic with uh, traditional music, Gaelic with culture, and Gaelic with development. And then we ha also have uh, particularly vocational uh, type courses. We have an MA in Gaelic with education, which is in conjunction with the University of Aberdeen, which confers a degree 
entitling you to become a primary or a secondary school teacher of Gaelic or through the medium of Gaelic. And we also have a diploma in Gaelic media course here. Uh, it's a two-year course, and those who graduate from that course find employment usually to do with Gaelic television sector, and notably with a, the BBC Alapa channel, which is the equivalent of what you have in, in, in Ireland with RTE, mm -hmm. and also in Wales with S4C. And uh, as well as these, we have various other courses. We have short courses, for instance, uh, during the Easter vacation period, uh, when our full-time students are off campus, and again in the summertime for eight weeks, uh, we, we offer a range of, of um, courses, both in the Gaelic language itself, but also in aspects of, of the culture, and, and indeed in particular skills like, like photography. And these are popular courses. We have something like uh, 850 students per year attending these courses over a period of uh, 10 weeks altogether. And we offer some courses uh, off campus as well in various parts of Scotland, for instance, in the cities in, in Glasgow and, and Edinburgh. You might be interested in one aspect of our provision here, and that's the opportunity to learn Gaelic for Irish speakers to learn Gaelic. So you, it's a Gaelic to Gaelic um, course. And uh, these, these are popular courses. Okay, we had three of these uh, this uh, current year. And we have uh, teachers, uh, tutors on these courses who are uh, conversant with both languages. And uh, a lot of people express interest in making the transition from being Irish speakers to being Scottish Gaelic speakers. Yeah, that's fantastic. And we might dive in a bit more to that topic. I, I guess for our audience, it might go without saying, but it doesn't, it doesn't harm in saying it, that when we're talking about Gaelic today, it's what you might refer to as Scottish Gaelic, or more generally, you might hear, hear the term Gaelic which we come across a lot too from the Irish perspective. And that can mean a couple of different things depending on who you're talking with. Like, for example, when I was growing up, if I heard somebody mention Gaelic, I always assumed they were speaking about the Scottish language, and it's not necessarily true. And uh, Boyd, even when you're referring to the language, when you're talking in English, you refer to your language as Gaelic. And I say Gaelige for my language. And they're obviously very, very, uh, there's very close ties there. Uh, I was interested, uh, you mentioned um, the geographical areas of the highlands and the islands. So for somebody who doesn't know the, the landscape of Scotland, like what does that entail? Uh, who lives in those regions? And any more context you can give us? Okay, so if you know roughly what Scotland looks like, it's a line from Argyll in the west uh, highlands, where the original Gales settled in Scotland, uh, right across to uh, just a line north of Perth, uh, in the, the centre of Scotland, and upwards to, through the mountainous regions of the Grampians to uh, Inverness. So the, the Gael, Gaeldon today would consist of, of the territory north of there, 
Highlands and Islands might be a slightly wider, and that might take in Murray, which is to the east of Inverness. Uh, but there'll be few few Gaelic speakers in that area today. So the Highlands is a very very a widespread area, and that includes the Shetland Islands away in the north, and, and the Orkney Islands as well. And these these are a uh, less of uh, Gaelic speaking culture, more of a Viking background, uh, and therefore they're not really part, so much part of, of what we would call Gaeldom. Hmm. Highlands and Islands is a, it's a thinly populated area, a large land mass. It's almost equivalent to half of the Scottish land mass. And uh, yet, until the University of the Highlands and Islands was, was formally given university title four years ago, and until that happened, there was no a higher education institution within whole of that area of Scotland. Uh-huh. And that must have been a massive step forward, was it, in Scotland? It's a long-held aspiration to have that, uh, because you had cons- several universities in, uh, in the like of Edinburgh and in Glasgow, and people from the Highlands had uh, to travel to these centres or to Aberdeen or Dundee or whatever for their higher education and for much of their further education as well. Uh, and now that's not a necessity. And tell me, uh, Solmore Ostig is on the Isle of Skye, if I've understood correctly. So whereabouts is the Isle of Skye and um, how would you describe it? Are there many people about? The Isle of Skye is very close to the mainland of Scotland. It is now linked by a bridge, a road bridge, from Kyle of Lahalsh, in the Lahalsh area of mainland, uh, across to Kailakin and Skye. Uh, you could also come by sea to Skye. Uh, there are two ferry routes, one from Glen Elg, a small uh, isolated community on the west coast, uh, south of Lahalsh, uh, to a place called Kyle Ray on Skye. But the, that's a seasonal ferry service. There's a sustained uh, year-round ferry service between the port of Malig on the West Highlands, which is roughly an hour's drive from Fort William. And from Malig, you can get a 30-minute sea crossing to Armadale. And Armadale uh, is just about uh, three miles from the college here. So we're situated in the Slate Peninsula of Skye in the south end of, of mm. the island in what is known as the Garden of Sky because of its very forested and, and rich in flora. Mm. Very nice. And Boyd, uh, you grew up in the Gaeldom, as you called it. Uh, Gaelic is your first language, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, uh, we refer to Gaeldom as the Gaeltach, um, and I, I grew up in the island of North Uist, which is just about in the centre of the Outer Hebrides, uh, Lewis and Harris to the north, uh, South Uist and Barra to the south, a uh, mm. cha- chain of islands. And uh, I, I, I grew up in Loch Maddy, which is the port for, for North Uist, uh, and where the ferry, ferries uh, journey from North Uist to Uig, the north of Skye, on a, on a daily basis. And uh, my father uh, was the harbour master in, in, in Lochmadi um, 
and my parents were both Gaelic speakers. My mother was a teacher, uh, and I uh, grew up uh, with Gaelic as my first language. But because I was in a, a harbour area, I grew up in the harbour near the harbour. Uh, you met many different uh, people there coming off uh, boats, uh, ferry boats, well, ferry, ferry boat steamers, as they were called in those mm-hmm. days, uh, but also from uh, other boats, cargo boats and fishing boats. And a lot of the fishing boats came from the east coast of Scotland, from the northeast of Scotland. So you were exposed to English and other dialects at a very young age. So I probably became bilingual uh, about uh, by three and a half. Uh, years of age. And because Lochmaddy, uh, as well as being a port, is an administrative centre for the island, it was more of a bilingual community than the rural parts of the island, which were more monolingual Gaelic. And looking back, Boyd, on your childhood, your upbringing there, how would you describe it? Was it say during winter time was it a quiet place or was there always stuff happening around the harbour uh, it was actually probably busier in winter time around the harbour ah. because the fishing season was generally from the around about october through to uh, april so that was a particularly busy time and you could get uh, maybe as many as 20 uh, 20 boats uh, tied together to the pier uh, herring fishing was at, was at its peak in those days, and um, it was a very lively uh, community. I wasn't aware that it was a quiet backwater at all, uh, <laughs> as it might be viewed nowadays. But uh, no, it was um, it was always a lot happening because it was, as I said, the administrative centre, the the. the banks, the uh, post office, uh, administrative facilities, police, police and headquarters, all of these kind of things were, were based in, in the village in Loch and I went to the When I went to the local school with Gaelic as still my strong, strongly my first language, uh, there was no Gaelic provision in the school. Uh, in fact, the teacher for the first few years had no Gaelic herself. So, the only exposure I had to the language uh, during my schooling in, in the primary school in the seven years was when we reached primary seven, the last year of primary, and uh, it consisted of, of an hour a week on a Friday afternoon. And I mm-hmm. think that, that tells you something about the status of the language in those days. So that's an interesting time to ask you, therefore, where has... Gaelic come from like if we look back 50 100 years ago and how would you describe its status today in Scotland right ironically um, that time when I went to school the language was very much the language of the community in in North Uist and the other islands uh, in a way that it's much uh, less so nowadays uh, where Probably in, in the like of North Uist, uh, overall, you have about 60%, six, uh, certainly no more than two-thirds of the population would be Gaelic-speaking today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as in, in those days, uh, I would have uh, estimated to be closer to 90% uh, 
Gaelic speakers in the island. So the language has receded um, in the community bastions that it had at one time. It is no longer uh, the uh, stronghold of the language in the Gaelic traditional Gaelic speaking areas that it once was. However, on the other hand, uh, more people have taken an interest in the language and more people are learning the language. And some, some of that is down to the establishment of Solmorostig. When people ask me about the uh, revival and the fortunes of the language in the last uh, 50 odd years, um, I, I point to a few different aspects. One was the poetry of, of bards like Sorley MacLean, Ian Craig Smith and Derek Thompson. There were five uh, Gaelic poets, Donald Macaulay and uh, George Campbell Hay were the other two, who uh, were, were top-rate uh, poets and, and who gave the language profile and gave the language status amongst the literati in Scotland. Uh, uh, that was probably in the mid middle of last century. And then several things happened early in the 70s uh, to change the climate for Gaelic, and critically the formation of this college by Syrian noble, a merchant banker uh, based in Edinburgh initially. That was part of, of, of the renaissance of the language, the fact that he wanted to create uh, an establishment which would do several things. It would help to retain young people in the communities because they wouldn't have to go off to a university in the south of Scotland or in the, or in the east of Scotland to get higher education. It, it would retain these people in the communities. It would offer Gaelic courses through the medium of Gaelic. It would create employment in the community here. Uh, re reviving the economy of, of the area and keeping young families employed in, in posts associated with the college. So these were just some of his aims, which have seen the development of these aims have, has been seen in the, in the intervening period. In 1973, there were 450 people in the Slate Peninsula of Skye. Today, there are 900. The population has doubled. Almost directly as a result of what Ian Noble did in establishing this this college, and also some other uh, small businesses in the area. Now, I mentioned that there were several factors that contributed to the regeneration of, of the language. Another factor was the um, popularity of a rock band, folk rock band called Runrig, and uh, one of the founder members of Runrig. Donnie Monroe is a director of development and the arts here at the college at present. And Runrig um, brought Gaelic to the attention of uh, music lovers throughout not just Scotland and uh, Britain, but much more widely throughout Europe, particular following in, in countries like Denmark and and Germany and the Netherlands, for instance, and also in, in North America, as you might expect. So I would say that Runrig 
uh, who started in the same year as Solmore in 73, uh, and Solmore and um, Gaelic poets were really instrumental in, in raising the, the profile of the language and enhancing its status, uh, not just in the eyes of, of the Scottish population in general, but also in the, critically in the minds of, of young Gales, giving them a different set of values about the language, making them appreciate what they what they had in their culture, and and making it relevant to them. And about the same time, 1974, a year later, there was a major reorganisation of a Scottish local government, a, which saw the creation of a unitary authority for the Outer Hebrides, called Corla. And Yilin and the, uh, the Council of the Isles. And that brought a local government um, to the people who spoke Gaelic, governed by the people themselves who have Gaelic. It's something that hadn't happened in Scotland since the demise of the uh, principality, if you like, of, of the Lordship of the Isles, which was a, a kingdom within a kingdom on the west coast of Scotland with its headquarters in the island of Isla, and uh, mainly focused on the Clan Donald, powerful Clan Donald dynasty. And they effectively ruled the west coast of Scotland uh, and a large measure of the highlands of Scotland uh, inland as well uh, for about three centuries. So it was a, it was a Gallic um, principality or kingdom within Kingdom of Scotland, it was seen as a threat uh, to the, to the um, unity of the Scottish state as it was at that time, and various uh, measures were taken to suppress the uh, power of this kingdom within a kingdom, the Lordship of the Isles. But the key point I'm trying to make here is that Lordship of the Isles was, was a system of government of a large mass of Scotland by Gales, uh, by Gales of Gales, and that didn't happen again until the formation of local government, uh, the reformation of local government in 1974, and the formation of Corla and Yilin. And one of the early acts of Corla and Yilin, the Western Isles Council, was to establish bilingual policy, and from that emerged bilingual education project. And Boyd, jumping to this past year, there was a rejected referendum in Scotland on the independence of Scotland. So I couldn't skip this interview without asking something about that. So what do you think uh, maybe is Gaelic's role in Scotland today? And do you see or foresee any changes in the future for Scotland and your language? I'm often asked about the... Uh, link between language and politics. Uh, you know, I, I have to make the point repeatedly that the language movement in Scotland, the Gaelic language movement in Scotland, has uh, striven uh, very deliberately to to take the language out of politics, in the, out of party politics, I should mm -hmm. say, so that it is not associated with any particular brand of politics, and that has been the case. Um, has been a successful policy 
to date. Some of the major advances for the Gaelic language, ironically, have been under Westminster Conservative governments. Although Scotland doesn't ever vote Conservative, Scotland has been traditionally a, a Labour bastion. Uh, that has only changed with, with the, uh, the post-referendum period with the advance of, of the Scottish National Party. So that, ironically, the party which receives least support in Scotland, the Conservative Party, has, when it's been in power, been quite amenable to uh, developments in Gaelic. And, and for instance, uh, the introduction of a um, Gaelic broadcasting channel on, on, on television uh, was uh, granted by Conservative government several other significant developments as well. We have the First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, uh, coming to open our new building here at um, Solmore Ostig next week. And I think that just shows you the, the way in which we are quite assiduous about aligning ourselves with whichever party is in power and making sure that the language gets, gets the best treatment from, from whichever party uh, is in government. It's a balancing act, as you, as you might, might expect. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, although you might say uh, that probably most Gales would incline to be uh, supportive of Scottish independence and therefore yes voters in, in the recent uh, referendum, it, it doesn't. That you cannot say that that is um, the whole movement. You cannot characterize the whole movement that way. But but certainly, my impression is that a preponderance of people uh, who speak the language would naturally uh, be inclined to vote for independence. Yeah, I understand. And thanks for sharing the context with us. I know it can be sensitive and I absolutely agree with the approach of not politicizing, politicizing the language to one side or the other. And uh, it's interesting to hear this context. So we were uh, going to talk, we were running out of time. I wanted to ask you about the links of Irish and the Irish language and Gaelic. So um, people, if who are listening if they want to search on youtube we have a video called irish versus gaelic and it does cover some aspects of gaelic but it i cover more about the irish language because it's what i know um but i did want to ask you one last question boyd and that's for the people who are listening to this most of them are outside of ireland and they have an interest in particular of learning the irish language so do you find people uh, traveling to Scotland from outside of Scotland to learn Gaelic? And what type of people are they? Like, how, what do you feel um, is their motivation? Yeah, I, we do indeed. I was at a church service, a Gaelic church service yesterday evening. And we had, a, in the, amongst the congregation, it's a small group in the congregation, but we had a, three people from the college there, one Hungarian, one Italian, one Spanish. <laughs> so that, I think that uh, is indicative of, of the interest in the language beyond our shores. Uh, we offer a lot of our courses uh, 
through distance learning. So you, you can access our courses anywhere in the world. And we have students all over the world. We have them in Australia, we have them in, in Argentina, we have them in Alaska, we have them in Russia, and, and, and all points in between. So there is a, a worldwide interest in, in studying the language, and we get upwards of 20 countries represented here during our short course season in the summertime, when people like to come and spend a week learning the language or learning an instrument associated with a culture like, like the bagpipes or different, different instruments like the accordion, for instance. All of that goes on here. All of that uh, attracts um, people to the college, and uh, we're very happy to accommodate that, that, that demand. We would actually like to see more um, people accessing the language through uh, the, the distance learning courses that we have. And these, these courses start at a very basic level, and you can complete a degree course uh, through distance learning. So it's a developing field for us here, uh, and, and uh, we are very happy to try and, and accommodate as many people as are, are willing to learn something of our language or something of our culture. Oh, that's lovely. And what we'll do is there, of course, will be a link to your organization's website from the show notes page uh, for this podcast episode. So for anybody interested, I do invite them to click along. And indeed, you can always uh, follow on with your own discussion. Just come to www.bitesize.irish slash podcast 53. And for the first couple of weeks after the episode is published, you can post a reply, uh, but you have to be quick because the comments section closes. So if you have any uh, comments or even questions for Professor Robertson, I do invite you to leave your comments. So, Boyd, uh, thanks so much for your time today. It really was a pleasure to hear your enthusiasm about your language and to get a bit of the context of your language and country too. So, good and so for Bite Size Irish Gaelic, we let you make a real connection to your Irish heritage. And if you want to try a no obligations trial, just go to bitesize.irish slash try. It's that easy. Thanks to Tsukumo for the, from Japan for their music, which you hear on this episode under a Creative Commons license. And until the next episode, slán go Bye for now.